Amen. Well, we are going to be talking today about uh, what, uh, what I've titled um, in my message today, which is, um, and I think it'll be up on the screen, uh, a Pledge Allegiance Indivisible. And so I want to talk to us this morning uh, about this, and um, I'm going to invite us in a couple of minutes to take the Pledge of Allegiance, and you'll, you'll see that here in just a minute. But I, I just kind of want to know, um, how many of you yesterday celebrated 4th of July? Yeah? How many of you shot off fireworks? A couple of you? Some of you, did you, anybody not sleep because of fireworks? Yeah, a couple of you, right? <laughs> yeah? So, so those of you who are the curmudgeons who didn't get out and shoot fireworks, next year, get some fireworks, yeah? And keep your neighbors awake, right? That's the whole goal, right? To keep your neighbors awake and, and allow them to, uh, to, to stay awake and enjoy the time with you. Well, I think that one of the, the things that uh, is important for us is our independence. And we value independence, don't we? We value our independence because we have come to believe that it is a right, that we are an independent people. And so we, as we look upon our history and as we think about uh, our world today, um, Andrew and I have been watching, um, we, we watched Hamilton. Anybody watch the, the musical? Yeah, a couple of you did. The rest of you got to get a little culture. Uh, join you know, Disney Plus, plug for Disney Plus. Uh, we watched uh, Hamilton twice now, and uh, it is just fantastic, but it just kind of reminds me of where we're at as a country, that, that we fought for our independence, that we fought for our right to, to, to away from the British monarchy and away from capitalism, I mean, and socialism and communism, and, and we are now a people who are free. We are free people who are free and from the independent, and independent from the tyrannical oppression of Britain. And so we as Americans, and, and by the way, this is not a political uh, sermon, but it's going to sound somewhat political today. But uh, as, you know, as Americans, we have come to value our Constitution of the United States of America. We, want, we believe that we need to, de to defend our unalienable rights through the Declaration of Independence and that we've you know, come to align ourselves with the Pledge of Allegiance. When I was a kid growing up, uh, and I grew up in a military family, and uh, even though I didn't always go to a military school, we always said the Pledge of Allegiance when I was growing up. Every day I'd go to school, we would stand and we would put our hands on our chest, over our heart, and we would say the Pledge of Allegiance. And, and I remember how invaluable that made me feel and, and how proud I was to be an American. And, and I know other people are proud of the nation in which they live in, but I can tell you, because of our freedoms and the things that God has given us, it is a great thing to be free. And to have that. And so I'm going to invite you, if you will. As you can tell, we have placed a flag in our sanctuary this morning. And I would like for us, if we would, and this is not a political statement, but this is a way that we learn to, to pledge where God has blessed us. And so if you would stand, our flag is over here. And um, I'm going to ask us if we'll I'll just lead us in the Pledge of Allegiance. So if we just place our hands over our hearts and let's say the Pledge of Allegiance. It'll be up on the screen if you need it. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you very much. You may be seated. It is a great thing to, to pledge ourselves 
to something. And, and because we're Americans we, and, and we, we you know, love our country and we fought for our country, this is an important weekend in the life of the church and the life of America because, because, because of the same freedoms that were given to us as Americans, we can freely gather together in this place and we can worship God without the tyranny and fear of people rushing in here and, and you know, stopping us. I want to talk a little bit about what it means to, to, have a, to make a pledge, basically the pledge of allegiance. You know, a, a pledge is something, is a promise to do what you say you're going to do, right? You know what I mean. Uh, that, that when we pledge, I'm going to do this, I'm going to make it right, I'm going to do what I need to do. A pledge really is kind of seen as a formal promise. In regards to the Pledge of Allegiance, it is a, a loyalty that we give to the United States, you know, as a group of people who are going to stay together and fight for our freedoms. But it's also not only as a pledge, like a, a promise, but it's also like a covenant. A covenant where, where two parties come to get together and they mutually agree on a set of boundaries and guidelines to adhere to that would bring both protection and equality. And when a covenant is adhered to, both parties receive a blessed union. They have a peace and harmony and stability. Not only is, is you know, pledge that, but we look at what allegiance means. Allegiance means a loyalty or commitment of a subordinate to a superior or of an individual to a group or cause. That, that's what we're kind of looking at. So, so this whole pledge of allegiance that we just stood and said really is where we are saying we are aligning ourselves with someone or something or making a commitment to be as a united being or front, even though we're united as one entity through our diversity. And so part of the pledge to align ourselves is this word indivisible. And this is the word I really want us to think about today. When I was reading through the Pledge of Allegiance and thinking about this sermon today, th this whole idea of what does it mean to be indivisible? And indivisible is defined as unable to be divided or separated. When I, when I began looking at this word, it reminded me that, that almost 27 years ago, I stood before uh, our pastor, Pastor Lee, and, and I... It, asked my wife to marry me, and we stood before our pastor, and, and we joined together as a husband and wife. And, and so in marriage, it's kind of, this word indivisible reminds me of the marriage union that God established in the word of God. In, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, 2-24, it says, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and is united with his wife, and they shall become one Flesh. I cannot think of any other passage of scripture that, that, that really shows what indivisible means. Because if you think about it, when a man and a woman get married together, God doesn't necessarily see them as two separate individuals, but he sees them as one person. That was God's plan. And so back in the early days, in the Hebrew days, uh, when, when, we, when a husband and a wife were about to get married, they would be betrothed together, uh, the woman was, had to prove her virginity. And, and so it was very important because they understood the sanctity of a relationship. They understood that, that, that if this woman had relations with someone else, that she could not become one with this person and so that she was going to marry. And so they had to prove her virginity, and when they came together, they came together as a unit, and they were now one, one before their family, and now one before God. And it's really important. 
in Corinthians, it talks about the importance of only uniting our flesh with one person, that it should not be violated. Well, throughout the Bible, people are instructed to live indivisibly with each other as if married so that they can be seen as a unified body. And now, now think about this. If selfishness enters the church, the people become divided over self-interest. When a nation takes sides, much like the political divide that's happening and the, and the racial divide that's happening in our recent days, our country becomes fractured. When a spouse steps outside of the bonds of marriage, divorce is almost inevitable. And so the United States of America was founded on a religious freedom and away from the monarchy. But a nation that is divided will fall because of its sin. And we must return back to a united nation. Or we will fall as a nation. We will no longer exist as a free and democratic state. So how do we do that? You know, I love the Bible. Uh, the Bible is one of these, these books that you can find all the answers you need in this book. I'm talking to the teens a couple weeks ago and even on Wednesday, uh, you know, the, 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 the first place you ought to go for answers is in this book. Not, not to political system, not to some podcast, not to, you know, some website, but to this book. And, and so the Bible is very clear and it, it calls a people to, to come back to unity, to come back to oneness, to come back to indivisibleness. And in 2 Chronicles 7.14 it says, If my people who were called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. This passage of scripture is just as good for us today as it was for, the, for Israel back then. We need to become a humble and repentant people. We need to be the kind of people that turn away from our sin and our selfishness, our sinful hearts and our attitudes and our actions. And so I, I just I was thinking about what is the definition of sin? And the definition of sin is one of these things that nobody likes to talk about sin. Nobody wants to talk about it because when we do, we have to look into our own selves and, and see if there's any sin within our own lives. But sin is defined as, according to John Wesley, a violation of the known law of God. Now, that's one way of putting it. In other words, you, have, you and I have the law of God placed on our hearts from the very beginning of time. Hebrews talks about it. The Old Testament talks about it, that God placed the law in our hearts. So we know what's right and we know what's wrong. We know how we ought to live. But the next definition that I think is really important about sin is sin is selfishness. You see, sin says, I want it. I'm going to take it. It's mine. Sin is also isolation. Because isolation, you know, I can go over here and I can sin and I can hide. I hide my sin because I don't want anybody to see it. The same thing for Adam and Eve. When they sinned against God, they hid from God. They covered their nakedness. Sin is isolation. Sin is a violation of the known law of God. And so, Today's scripture that I want to take us to in setting all of this up for us is to look at a man in the Bible. His name is Paul, the Apostle Paul, a great follower of Jesus, wrote much of the, Old, or the New Testament. And, and this man was dealing with his own personal sin. Now, how do we get from allegiance to sin? We're going to come back to that, and I, you're going to see it. But here's what I want you to get. 
in Romans chapter 7, verses 15 to 22, initially we're going to look at this part, Paul, the Apostle Paul, who was independent, who was trying to serve the church in a negative way and killing people and doing what he thought was right and ended up realizing that the road to Damascus, it was not a good thing. He now is coming to himself and realizing the sin in his own life is so great that he doesn't know what to do with it. He doesn't tell us what his sin is, but he tells us that he's struggling with sin and he's struggling with how to deal with it and he's struggling with how to put it away. And in Romans 12, or excuse me, Romans chapter 7, verse 15 to 22, it says, It, sin, happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to, go, to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, his laws, but it's, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Part of me covertly rebels, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. Paul is dealing with sin. Paul is dealing with his sin, and he says, I want to serve God, I want to follow the law, I want to do what is right, but it just seems like all of a sudden sin just pops up. Anybody ever been there? Life's going great, you're walking down the road, you're feeling like you're, you're, you know, that you're never going to fall to anything, all of a sudden something pops in your head, or some guy cuts you off on the road, and, oh, you know, Right? So some of you have just been looking up here and trying to figure out why I have this board up here. I want to describe to you and help you understand where most of us as in Christianity live today. And uh, this is a broad stroke, so um, some of you who, who are more theological than me, there's different versions of this. But I want to talk about the first circle. The first circle that we look at here on the board is what we would call sin. This basically says that I, I am on my own throne. I live my own life. I do what I want to do. And sin, sin is controlling my life. I don't know why sin. I sin. I'm selfish. I isolate. I just don't have, you know, what it takes. And God is on the outside of your life. You can see, you know, this cross down here represents God. And God is not in your life. And some of us in the church and even outside the church today, we're living in sin. We know that we're, we're selfish, we know that we're isolated, and we don't know what to do. And Paul would identify, he knew what it meant to be a sinner. But Paul came to a place in his life when he was moving from this first circle to the second circle. When on that road to Damascus, Paul came to a place where he invited Christ to be on the throne of his life. So... He's on the throne, and God's on the throne. And so he had asked God to forgive him his sin, and God cleansed him of his sin, and he was pure before God, and he was trying to live this, this Christian life, and maybe this is where you're at, where you are still on the throne of your life, but God is in your life. You, you, said, I, you said the prayer, of, God, forgive me. I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. Well, we call this, the carnal nature, or carnal sin. And what I want to move us to today is to move away from, from, from you know, inviting Christ to come in your life and moving away from your sin, your selfishness, to coming and inviting Christ to be in your life. But I also want to invite you to move away from this carnal nature, and I'll come back and talk about this in just a minute, to move to what we would call holiness living, where you 
are on the outside of the circle and where Christ has full control of your life. And this is what we would call the sanctified life. The sanctified life. But I want to draw your attention to this center circle for a minute. This center circle is where I believe that most people live today, where most people live and they are challenged by their faith. They said yes to Jesus and want Jesus in their life, but they are struggling with control. Carnality means control. It, it means, and it's kind of used as a fleshly term where, where really it's kind of a sexual term, living a carnal nature, you know, going after that, that thing that we really want. But, but looking at this says that God's forgiven me, but I am fighting for control uh, in my life. Yes, I want Jesus, but I also want to be in control. And I think that's where we are as a world today. We are a people who are fighting this carnal nature. And instead, God is inviting us to put Christ as the center of our life and us on the outside and serving God because we've been forgiven our sins and now he is the head of our life. And so how can we ever rise above? this carnal state of our life. And the conflict within us is very real. Matter of fact, the, the conflict is this. We live in a, the conflict of the flesh and the devil. The flesh and the devil. And we need to learn how to live healthy Christian lives. Healthy Christian lives mean we're moving to this direction, not staying here. But here's the deal. Sometimes... We think we're healthy. And I will tell you, and I've seen this through our denomination and other denominations, where, where we can be, you know, we can live a Christian life and call ourselves righteous, but we live it in the wrong way. Where we say, if I dress a certain way, if I act a certain way, if I don't drink, smoke, and dance and go with the girls that do, I'm I'm golden, right? I'm not a sinner anymore. Right? That's how we've kind of said that throughout the years. But it's more than that. We can, we can live a legalistic way and never be close to Jesus and continue to live and struggle for our faith. But we need to live a healthy life where, where it's not just a one and done, where God, I invite you to be the Lord of my life but, but, and come in and forgive me my sin, but we have to do it on a daily basis. Paul was saying that we need to, on a daily basis, come to Christ and ask him to forgive us and restore us and encourage us and chastise us and move us to this place of holiness living. The second thing that we need to figure out is that we struggle with the devil, don't we? The devil is a real powerful being who is our adversary, who does not want us Number one, to ever get out of this, this sinful place in our life. And when we invite Jesus to come into our life, he wants you to stay in the struggle and fight against this carnal nature where, where Christ is on the throne and you are fighting against Christ for control. He wants you to stay there. And he will do everything that he can to keep you from moving to this third circle. The Bible tells us that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He is, he is looking to you. And Paul would say, you know, listen, I am struggling with this. I don't know what to do. And I like what Paul says as we continue in the scripture. It says, I've tried everything and nothing helps. Our batteries.
Sorry about that. And so Paul is saying, listen, I've tried everything I can and nothing helps. Have you ever been there in your own life, in your own sin? Have you ever said, I don't know what to do. God, I am struggling here. I am struggling to figure out how to live. And he's saying, is there nothing? I'm at the end of my rope. I, I, I like this. You know, when you're at your end of your rope, and, and I like the NIV says, oh, wretched man that I am. I like that language. Because when we understand that, that, that when sin is beginning to control us or take control of us again, that, that we, need, we are at the end of ourselves and we need to, to understand that when we are at the end of our ability and our resources and we ask, is there not anything or anyone that anyone can do for us? This is where we need to be. In the story of the prodigal son, the parable. We know it's not a literal story, but it might as well be. In that story, you know the story, the young man. He goes to his father and he asks for his inheritance and he takes his inheritance and, he's, and he, he lives lasciviously. I like that word. Jody's going to get mad at me because I keep using these big words. She always tells me, you have, to, you have to define them. Lascivious. They live in sin. He lives in sin. He goes out and he has wild living. And, and this young man in the, in the parable, the prodigal of the son, he, kind of, he gets to the end of himself, and I think he is the same place where the Apostle Paul was, where he says, is there no one that can help me? And he comes to his senses, and he decides he's going to go back to his father. And he's going to ask his father, Father, would you just make me one of your servants? I'm not worthy. I've lived a bad life. I've done wrong things. And you know the father? You know the story? The father, it says that the father is looking out for the son. When he sees his son, he runs to his son. And you know in the moment, right? And we've all done this. Your kids have done this. My kids have done that. I've done it to my parents. Your parents kind of look at you and they, you know what you've done wrong and they know that you've done wrong and you start to you spill your guts and, and you just kind of get real. And, but I like in the story is the father says, no, 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 no. I don't need to hear it. Your sin, your sin, you're done. I'm going to restore you. He gives him a ring. He gives him a cloak. And he gives him sandals. He restores him back to his proper place. What I like about the story, and I think some of us like to do this with our kids. This is a parent, you know, side note. If your kids are, are realizing that they're in their sin, when they come to your house to say, Mom, Dad, I've struggled, that's not your time now to, to remind them that they're sinners. You know what time it is? It's time for you to say, I'm going to accept you. You're, let's put your sin aside. We don't need to bring it up. We don't need to talk about it. We just need to love them where they're at. Because when they are so repentant and so broken that they want to come back into unity with, with you as a family or you with God, you don't need to, to punch them in the face with their sin. They've already done that between them and God. Why don't you just accept them back into the family? And the whole point here is that the father saw that this young man has lived this sinful life and he wanted to bring him back into the fold and restore him to the place where he wanted to be. All right, let me kind of move away from that. You know, oftentimes we look at our world today and we think that our world, our government systems, our social systems, and those kinds of systems, they ought to be the one to provide for us. They ought to be the one to help us. They ought to be the one to take care of us and everything that we need. And I want you to hear this. 
We, we cannot put our hope and our faith and our trust in those systems. Matter of fact, I'm going to tell you this, and, and I'm the pastor, but I don't think you can put your hope and faith in this church. We are here as a resource to help you and encourage you, just like those other systems, to, to get what you need. But it is truly only God that can help you and that can forgive you of your sin and can restore you back to the place where he wants you to be. We're here to help you do that. In verse 25, Paul finds his answer to his question, is there not anyone who can help me? You see, he says this, the answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all of my heart and mind. He realizes that the answer to his carnal nature is not found in government systems. It's not found in social you know, networks. It wasn't even found in the church. It was found in Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ, you know, when he revealed that to him, you know, Paul moved from this carnal nature to a sanctified heart. And that's what we need to do. And, and, and here's the thing. Jesus understands the issues that we've you know, struggled with in life. He understands the carnal nature. He understands the plight of the world. He understands that. And the Bible tells us in Philippians that he humbled himself, taking on the form of humanity. It, the Bible tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we were tempted. He understands your proclivity to sin as he understands mine. Jesus, when he was with the disciples... He got down on the floor with a basin of water and a towel and he washed the dirty, disgusting feet of the disciples. And Jesus, at the very end of his time on earth, hung on a cross where he died for the sins of all of humanity. Where he died for your sins and my sins the sins of your children, the sins of your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. He died for everyone's sins in the world. And Jesus understood where we are at as a people, but he wanted us to rise above all of that. And so the reason we live in contradictions today to, to the word is this, neither, number one, neither you probably have never trusted Christ for salvation. That means that you're living over here and you don't know. You know that Jesus exists, but you're not quite sure what this all means. I invite you to move from there and come into here where you invite Christ to be your Lord and Savior and then eventually move over here where Christ is the center of your life. Some of you, I would say, either here or online, you have invited Jesus to be your Lord and Savior but you've never truly committed to following him. When you give Christ authority in your life, then you don't have to struggle with sin. You can be indivisible with him. So, how are you and I supposed to rise above and move away from this contradictory life? Here's what I would say. We, a little bit ago, we pledged allegiance to the flag because we live in a great nation with great people, and you all are great people. But I'm going to invite you in these moments to pledge your allegiance not to this country, 
but to Christ himself. We need to pledge allegiance to Jesus Christ with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. We need to make the promise that we are going to commit ourselves to to Jesus, which means that we commit our life, our wills, our ways to him. That means we commit everything to him. We commit our finances. We commit our, our sexual life. We commit our home life. We commit our work life, our relationship life. Every part of our life must be committed to him. I think sometimes in church we just get this idea that we just got to come and give him our sin. Sin means you got to commit everything. You see, you'll never move away from the carnal state if you're not willing to give Christ everything in your life. Our call is to be indivisible, to be one with God, to be truly united with him in a way that when he looks at us, we are just a part of him. And the Holy Spirit helps us when we do that, and he moves us away from this life of contradiction. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I think most of you probably received the paper coming in. If you haven't, this is what I'm going to ask you to do. This little piece of paper right here. It's up on the screen. This is a moment between you and God before we come and take the, the common meal. And I'm going to pray for us. But here's what I want to ask you. In your circle, and I want you to, this is for you. You're not going to give this to me. You're not going to give it to Pastor Jody. This is between you and God in this moment. And I'm going to ask you in your circle on that piece of paper, are you living in a sinful life? Are you living a sinful life where you live in your sin and you know Christ is on the outside? If that's you, I want you to draw that. If you are living in a carnal state, then I need you to be real with yourself. You see, I want you to take this home and put it on your mirror. I want you to look at it and say, God, why am I struggling with this? God, I want you here. And if you have, if you have given your heart to Christ through sanctification and he has cleansed you and made you pure and indivisible, then I want you to put that in your paper. You see, these moments are for you to decide what kind of relationship you want to have with God because God wants a relationship with you. See, just like the prodigal son, he, he doesn't need you now to come and say, you know what, I'm this sinner. He just wants you to come say, I've forgiven you, and I'm going to restore you. Let me pray for you. Father God, in these moments, every one of these folks on this, whether they're watching online or sitting in the sanctuary, Lord, we are now have been called to... to designate where we are with you. God, I ask that in this moment the Holy Spirit would just come through this sanctuary, God, and and that there would be a a cleansing of the sin of the people. God, that there would be a a willingness to, to put you on the throne of their life and come on the outside and let God reign. God, help us to be indivisible with you, to be in alignment with you, God. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we thank you for these moments. And we ask, God, now, that as we put our our mark on this piece of paper, Lord, that if there be anyone in this sanctuary who now, Lord, is looking at that and says that they are a sinner and they want Christ in their life, that God, they would, they would scratch that out and they would put Jesus Christ right there 
on the, on, the, on the throne of their lives. And God, would you be real now to each person in the name of Jesus. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you, Lord, that you are redeeming those in this place today, whether they're online or here. God, we praise you. We thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.